0: Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew in front of you. You'll find this on page 685 or 721 of the pew Bible. And while you're turning there, I'll remind you last week, if you were here, you may recall that just as sort of a a preface to Um, the pastoral prayer, I told a little story about collecting shells after Hurricane Irene and uh, mentioned, you know, that, that going over there, first opportunity after the storm passed, and of course the beach was littered with really good shells and that walking about a you know mile and a half down and back probably about a half mile into the walk I, just, I I said I became kind of a shell snob you know because the 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 shells we were finding were so much better than anything all the ones that we had labored to find before that that my appreciation for all the shells we had collected for years past was just diminished because of this overabundance of really good shells, and I I just use that to say abundance can be the occasion for ingratitude Um, as much as a lack of material things at all can be, or scarcity, and uh, that we fail to be thankful for what we have because of how much we have. In other words, the cruel irony is that that abundance can almost have an anesthetic effect. When, when you, you consume, as it were, so much of something good that you almost begin to get desensitized to its goodness, right? You lose your taste for it, so to speak. In fact, some of you are feeling that way about turkey right now. You know, so after, uh, you know, t- turkey and then uh, second, helping a turkey, and then leftover turkey and turkey salad and turkey on your salad and turkey soup and what, whatever. You know, if somebody suggests turkey sandwiches for lunch today, there might be violence. In, you know, in your reaction because it just almost anesthetizes us. Abundant. So, so, so that was a on one end of the spectrum. We can be surprised by what will steal our gratitude, rob us of our gratitude. Well, kind of on another end of the continuum almost, um, or at least in another category, another thief that can rob us of our gratitude is worry or anxiety. Things are okay today, but you're afraid they won't be tomorrow. And so you're afraid you're not gonna be able to pay your bills this month. You're not gonna meet that work deadline. Your health is fine now, but you're worried things will take a turn for the worse. You'll have a relapse or something, or that the medical treatment that's been working is gonna quit working. You're worried about the future of our country. Your business maybe employs a lot of people whose family depend on their income there. And so that becomes your pressure, your weight to bear, you lie awake at night wondering what if your clients don't pay and you're not able to make your payroll for all those families who depend on you. You're afraid something bad is going to happen to your children. And we could go on and on, right? There are hundreds, hundreds of examples um, of things that are uh, occasions for worry or anxiety for us, and there's lots of evidence that anxiety is on the rise in our culture, um, uh, including a survey earlier this year conducted by the American Psychiatric Association that found um, that overall Millennials are the most anxious generation, but baby boomers um, have reported the greatest increase in anxiety over the last year. And overall, all generations are more anxious than they were before, according to this, the responses to this survey. And for all, for all of those reasons, that just illustrates that Thanksgiving is also a season for angst-giving. That's the title of the message this morning, the idea being that, that we need to let go of Uh, those sources of angst for us, let go of those things that are sources of worry and anxiety in order for us to remain truly thankful. And so again, that's the the subject of this morning's message from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. So let's look there together now. And I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 25 of Matthew 6, I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as always, we thank you for this moment in our week, in our service, where we open your word, expecting to hear your voice. Lord, it is our conviction that your word is living and active and powerful. And yet we realize um, that even even there, we partake with abundance, um, or at least we have available to us in abundance. Bibles and translations of the Bibles and different variations of study Bibles and Bible studies and Bible radio programs and podcasts and all kinds of things that are freely available to us that might cause us to lose our appreciation for the very life and truth that is in this book. And so we ask that you would make it live to us today that you would penetrate our hearts with the truth that we need to hear and bring about the change that we need to experience. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people and for your glory. Would you move me out of the way, Lord, and use me as a vessel to communicate what we need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. You may know Matthew 5 through 7 make up what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and that's just a series of teachings of Jesus that that contain uh, something of the essence of his teaching. Um, That one place you could go and and read just a few chapters and try to get at uh, what's the the essence of what Jesus taught over against what other contemporaries of his taught or other, you know, religious or spiritual gurus down through the ages of other places and times, the Sermon on the Mount would be a a probably a good first stop. And and part of what he gets at is that righteousness is an issue of the heart and not simply of our behavior. And so he says things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he uses that uh, sort of construction a number of different times. And so um, if you are angry at your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. You know, if you look after a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so it goes with your desire to retaliate against uh, your enemies and so forth. And then in, in earlier in this chapter, um, he has issued cautions about, if you were to look, scan back even just, um, as I'm talking here, you see at the beginning of chapter 6 that he, he issues these cautions about not giving alms publicly, for instance. Don't, don't do good deeds so that you can be seen by other people, but do it in secret. Your heavenly Father sees you in secret and he'll reward you. And he says similar things about your fasting and prayer. Don't Don't do that in a showy and public way to be seen. And in between he teaches the model prayer or what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And then he comes to this teaching, but what we just read is preceded by uh, a, a related teaching about not storing up treasures in heaven, and then here about not worrying about life. Now my point in giving that background is to say, it's part of uh, this, this broad teaching that applies to everybody. That applies to everybody. So some people think of themselves as not worriers. And so a message about worrying doesn't apply to you. So may I just tell you, it applies to you. So uh, wake up and, uh, you know, put a little something under your seat to make you uncomfortable. If you're afraid, you, you might uh, just get comfortable and drift off. It applies to everybody because 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, no temptation has overtaken you Except that which is common to man. Worry and the temptation to worry is part of being human in a fallen world. So that's one of the implications of uh, this setting in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The other is that different people struggle to different degrees with different issues. Right. So just again, the other things that he's mentioned even before this, anger is more of an issue for some people than it is for others. Lust is more of an issue for some than it is for others and so on. And worry is more of an issue for some than it is for others even though it is an issue for everybody. Different degrees and, and I should, I, I wanna make this disclaimer here. Um, I don't know if a disclaimer is really the right word um, to use, but but to acknowledge that there are people who struggle with anxiety or anxiety disorders that sort of enter a different category. Okay, so so for instance, what's uh, even clinically or whatever he, uh, you know falls under the heading of anxiety disorders would include uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, OCD, uh, Obsessive compulsive disorder, you know uh, certain kinds of really particular phobias or social disorders and so forth, and so they're they're overlapping with just ordinary worry but 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 sort of go into a different direction in other words to to just think of them as anxiety in the same way um, is a little bit misleading now. That's, I don't know if you're following that at all, <laughs> but, but one of the reasons, I, I hope that you will, but before I'm finished, it's important to make that distinction for two reasons. For people who do struggle in major ways with anxiety issues, you need to know that somebody understands that. Okay, that it's just not, you're just not a major worry wart, in other words. That some people, for physiological reasons, because of major trauma in their past, have issues and struggles with anxiety of a different sort and to a different degree. It's also important for the rest of us to understand that because part of what we want to walk away with here is not only what does this have to say to me, but what does this have to say to us? How do we walk with one another through these kinds of challenges and how do we help each other find our way out of these kinds of struggles? And in order to do that, we need to understand what we're we're up against. And so Jesus offers us help here by pointing out that our worry is really a treasure issue and a trust issue. We see both of those kind of back and forth in this text. It's a treasure issue and a trust issue. It's a treasure issue in the sense that, well, he begins verse 25 with the word, therefore. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. Of course, it refers back to what he has just said in 19 through 24. He says there, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth are gonna rust and corrode and moths are gonna eat them and that kind of thing. They're gonna decay. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, he says in verse 21, there will your heart be also. And in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money or and wealth, he says. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. The implication there is, because you ought not to store up treasures on earth, because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Because you cannot serve two masters, therefore, do not be anxious about even your basic needs being met. The most basic human needs. Right? I mean this is, you think about just the beginning of that statement Jesus made. Do not worry about your life. <laughs> That's a pretty sweeping statement, isn't it? Like what what is not encompassed under that? But he says, even the even the very basic human needs being met. And once again, part of what this points out is he's addressing um, everyone he, he's addressing an issue that's pertinent to everyone just because you don't have enough earthly treasure to store up doesn't mean you don't have earthly treasure. You know do you realize you can treasure things that you don't even possess? Are you aware of that? I mean that 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 your heart can treasure things that you never, even possess. I mean, in a, in a, in an analogous way to people who, who spend their lives searching for some, um, hidden treasure, a ship that wrecked in a certain place. And it was full of, uh, you know, treasure being brought from Spain over to the colonies or to some, you know, and they, and they spend their life looking for treasure that they never find. It's absolutely a treasure of their heart. Then in a similar way, we can, we can treasure things, long for them and pursue them even if we never have them. And again, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so worry is related to our affection for the things of, of this world. And hence my prayer earlier. That worry is essentially related to affection, our affection for the things of this world, our, our our concern for our kingdom versus God's kingdom. And again, it can be for it can be worrying about not having enough, and it can be worrying in spite of the fact that we have more than we can even count. I heard a story not too long ago. Someone in in our congregation shared um, through a personal connection they had about some someone who worked as a crew, crewman or crewwoman on um, one of these multi, multi-million dollar yachts. I mean, one, one of these yachts that is unfathomably expensive and decked out and all that kind of stuff, you know, that, that just spends all of its time at sea traveling around the world and that sort of thing, owned by um, a, a founder and CEO of major corporations that you would know if I mentioned them. And this person said that he had a computer in every room on the yacht so that he could check his stock portfolio as he walked from one room to the next. And that that when he entered the next room on his yacht, he would go to the computer and check how his financial portfolio was going. And then he goes to the next room and he checks his his stocks. Uh, worrying. I mean, just, just absolutely enslaved by uh, anxiety, even though you, could, you, you have more than you can even count. You see, it's, it's wide-ranging, but the issue is what we treasure. Paul Tripp says, the difficulties of life in this fallen world are the occasion of our worry, but not the cause, okay? The difficulties of life in this fallen world are the occasion of our worries, but not the cause. If any of us were to be asked the question, what makes you worry, we would name something, right? And it might be uh, financially things are tenuous, or we worry about our children um, all the time, or, you know, whatever. Some of the things I mentioned at the outset. Those are occasions for our worry. They're not the cause because ultimately the cause of our worry is that we have assigned value to the wrong things or we've assigned too much value to the right things. We assign value to the wrong things or we assign too much value to the right things. And what's interesting is this word that's translated be anxious or, you know, do not be anxious. Um, But the verb form and the noun of that Greek word has a range of meanings, um, like we have in English, where you can care for something, right, in a positive and responsible way. But there's then a point at which the cares of this world become a negative thing, right? Become anxiety or worry. And this word has that, that same range of meanings. You can, you can care for your children and care about your children. But then you can worry about your children uh, when that has gone to an unhealthy degree. You see, because it comes from, children are a good thing, they're a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward, right? Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. It's a good thing, but if we assign too much value to the right things, then that's where the source of our worry comes from. That's the real cause of it. Assigning value to the wrong things, assigning too much value to the right things. It's an issue of the treasure of our heart. That's the source of our worry he also says it's a trust issue and there are, you know, he almost, it's really not even almost. I mean, basically the point Jesus is making, it, uh, is making here is to say, if we really understand who God is and who we are in relation to him, it's silly to worry. Now, he's not belittling by saying this, but this is really the implication. I mean, he's pointing out kind of the absurdity of it. Um, don't, don't be upset by that. I'll, I'll come around to that in a minute. <laughs> to Sort of soothe the wound of that. But I mean, that's kind of, you know, he's saying, why, why are you? God can be trusted. God can be trusted. And why are you worrying? And, and he gives four illustrations here, you know, that God feeds the birds of the air. They don't ever worry about what they're going to eat. And yet they always have plenty to eat. In verse 26, verse 27, he says, why do you worry? You can't, which of you by worrying can add one hour to his span of life? Or add anything for that matter. Uh, Anxiety doesn't produce, it only consumes. Worry, worry will not produce anything for you. It will only consume. It'll consume your energy. It will consume your time and resources. It will consume your joy, your relationships, and even your physical health, if it goes on long enough and in a severe enough way. And some of us know some of those things from experience, right, to one degree or another. He goes on to say, why do you worry about clothes? God clothes the fields with lilies in this splendorous and beautiful way that exceeds even the glory of Solomon himself. And doesn't he care more than about you than the grass of the field that's then thrown into the ovens? And finally, the Gentiles seek these things. Like that's basic. Even the Gentiles seek after these things. And God knows you need them And you're special to him. The people of God are special to God. Children and joint heirs with Jesus. And he knows what you need. And that's why the remedy of all of that in verse 33 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And speaking of jukeboxes and songs playing in my head this week. I had that old tune verse. I don't know if you remember it. I'm not gonna sing it for you, but that tune has been going in my head from back in the 80s. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness is the remedy. And truth be told, because we treasure earthly things, we build our own little earthly kingdoms. I mean the reason we have trouble seeking first his kingdom Is because we're building our own and we earnestly want God to come join us in that construction project right we want him to come help us build our kingdom we want him to come defend and support our kingdom but you know God we talk about God fighting our battles But we want to be sure we're fighting in the right kingdom because God has not offered himself up as an almighty mercenary that we hire to come fight our enemies in our kingdom for our own purposes and our own glory. He hasn't offered himself to do that. And yet that's essentially part of the reason why we lack confidence we're not really conscious of that, but the, re- the reason we would lack confidence in whether God is going to meet our need is because we know we're the one who's defined what the need is. We defined it on our terms uh, rather than his because we're looking at it through the sphere of our own kingdom. Again, uh, quoting Paul Tripp, who says kind of in this vein, if you don't have what you think you need right now, it's because you don't need it right now. But now see, I mean, my, my, my perspective, if I am looking through the window of my own kingdom, uh, over which I am Prince and Lord, then my sense of what my need is is going to be viewed differently than if, I'm, than if I'm trying to see it through the lens that God would provide for me on my own circumstances. But if we are, if if we know we are making His kingdom first and His righteousness, that He is our dwelling place and we are His beloved, then we can trust Him entirely. And so what do we do with all this? I mean, as I said, it's a message for each of us and also a message for all of us. And so how do we respond? I want to I suggest uh, just a few maybe practical takeaways, or, or I hope they're practical, uh, semi-practical anyway, but, but for each of us first, and then for the all of us. What, what, what is the message for me individually? And then what is the message for us collectively as far as takeaways? So number one, for each of us, number one, recognize that the Lord does not want us to be anxious. That's both a desire and a command. Okay, because his commandments are not burdensome. Um, He says in the book of Deuteronomy that uh, what he commands of the people of God, he he, he commands so that it may go well with you. He desires our good and so he commands us to do what will be good for us. It's both a desire and a command. But recognize that it really is just that simple. Now, that doesn't make it easy. Do you understand the difference between simple and easy? That wasn't always made clear in uh, in your schooling. I don't, I don't suppose we use them interchangeably. But it's simple, in, it's simple enough that Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life. That is an imperative and it, it means just what it says, and to so recognize that, but regard that as a signal to call you out of the valley, and not as a as a condemnation. Okay, Be, because in other words, if you are if you are lost in a dark valley, and you see up on top of a a, a distant hilltop a beacon of light that will guide you out of the valley. And it may be a slow and arduous journey. You may have to backtrack at times because you find out you've gotten to a place that's impassable and you've got to retrace your steps and find another route. But if that light continues to shine, you will find your way out of the valley. And so this, this word from Jesus, do not be anxious, calls us to something higher and better for us as a signal to us, not as a condemnation. Number two, examine yourself, okay? So, so identify, you, you know, we really need to uh, sometimes find quiet space and time to just meditate on the word and, and here to examine ourselves and identify the situations and circumstances that are occasions for your anxiety. So that's the first part of this. Now, many of us know what they are, without well, having, we don't need any more time, right? I don't need to examine uh, because I, they're always in front of me. I know what they are because I'm a worrier and I'm sort of overcome by this. I mean, that's true of some people, but others may need to really examine themselves and identify what are the occasions for your worry. And then when you find it, okay, flip it over and see if you can identify the treasure. Uh, what, what is it that you treasure there because because, for instance, uh, you know there are many things that uh, we might have we might have a um a business that we don't want to fail, not because we treasure the business so much but because we treasure what people think of us because of the business we own or the possessions we own we we we're We want our children to achieve a certain amount, not because we treasure them and their achievement and their future so much, um, but also because we treasure what other people think of us based on the achievement of our children. And so the point being, you know, really turn it over and find out what is it that I treasure there? If, if If this were lost, if this were taken away from me, what is it? that's ripped from our heart. Examine yourself and identify the situations and then the treasure that that reveals. And number three, consider what's true about God concerning your anxieties and and place your hope in him. This sounds cliche. I mean, this sounds like something a pastor or a Sunday school teacher would say, you know, just hope in God or trust in God. But that's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God, hope in him. When when our eyes are, are are gazing upward, and our affections begin to follow our eyes, our gaze, then then all of the things we treasure on earth begin to either fall away or or, or find their proper perspective. You know the psalmist said in forty in Psalm forty two, this this uh, as the deer pants. Uh, before the water, you know, in, in, as that psalm opens, you're familiar with it. But in verse five it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Once again, I love, I love the heart of psalmist to say, I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a person who is downcast enough that they can't even praise God. But know that I will again. Hope in God for I shall again praise him. Recognize he doesn't want you to be anxious. Examine yourself and then consider what's true about God in relation to that. And then for all of us, what do we do to, to, to help one another? Because it goes back to a message I preached a couple of weeks ago. You know, there are times when we can be unhelpful toward one another. Because we've just got little like Christian slogans that we throw at people's problems that are entirely unhelpful and then just make them feel worse about, about their spiritual health or whatever in the light of that situation. And so we don't like what we don't want to do is say, well, you know, Jesus said, Don't worry. It's, I mean, that's true. It's just not helpful. <laughs> it's just not helpful. And it doesn't really even get at the root of the problem. When, a, as I may have said before, you know, when the, when, when the sheep is caught in the thicket, you know, be a shepherd, not a wolf. Okay? I mean, it's, you, you know, you don't go by and say, well, what are you doing in the thicket, dummy? Uh, you know, Jesus said, don't get in the thicket, get out of the thicket you see how unhelpful that is i mean it's like it's why he's bleeding he's trying to get out of the thicket and he's and he's still caught in the thicket and so uh join him there join him there and help him get unraveled how do we do that well number one listen and and don't talk for a while because really you might come to understand something about anxiety and worry in general, certainly about the person's situation. But listen, number two, empathize. So feel what they feel. It's why it's important for for each of us to know that this is a message for us. It's why I labor here and linger on that. Because, Because if you have been honest with yourself about that, if you have found yourself in your own struggle and and begun your own journey out of there, then you can relate to somebody, even if they experience worry and anxiety to a greater degree, you can come to them as one who understands. As Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3 says about our walking worthy of our calling with Jesus, we do so with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Don't expect to throw a Bible verse and a prayer at it and voila, no more worry. Expect it to be a long journey out of a dark valley and probably not in a straight line. But join your brother and sister in the valley and walk out with them. And then finally, encourage. Uh, Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Offer him a good word. Again, start with no words. Just listen. (laughs) And then offer a good, encouraging word. That will make your brother glad, and maybe maybe this morning there is something you you know about because uh, again, you deal with it often and it, and it is consuming from you your energy and your time and your joy. I mean you live with this in a real prominent and prevalent way. and that might be less true for others, but there's something that that comes to mind, but either way, maybe there is some treasure that you need to lay down at the feet of Jesus this morning or perhaps uh, you need to recover some trust that God will meet your every need, that you're a child, that you are a citizen of his kingdom, that he cares for you more than he cares for any, any other thing in creation. People are special to him in that way. His people, extra special. Lay down your treasure, pick up your trust, and bring all of that before the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do um, thank you as always for what your word has to say to us. God, we just acknowledge, even right here in these moments, Um, that there are things that have a grip on our heart more than they ought to, even good things, even good things that we've assigned too much value to, that we have laid hold of the things that you've given us, even our family even our very children, Lord, that we have have fastened our grip on them as if they are ours and all of it is really yours. And so, Lord, I ask you once again that you would just loosen the grip that we hold on those things, begin to even... Change the affections of our heart. That we would desire your kingdom and your righteousness above our own. But Lord, we say all that acknowledging that it's not a quick fix. We don't say amen and then live happily ever after. but there is a, a process of, of, of entering the fullness and the wholeness that you would offer us through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord, would you just deal with us the way we need to be dealt with. Um, now we're in the hours and days and weeks to come that we might live most fully and freely as those set free from our worries and our anxieties. Lord, lift our eyes to see you and to see those around us who need to be loved, who need to be heard, who need to be cared about and encouraged and help us to do so, Lord, out of a place of understanding. Be glorified in us as we do so. and We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.